0: Welcome to City Talks by Ford, conversations with experts working through the needs and challenges cities face today, and how they're helping create safer, more accessible, and more sustainable mobility options for millions.
1: Welcome back to City Talks by Ford. Conversations with the experts working through the needs and challenges cities face today and how they're helping create safer, more accessible and more sustainable mobility options for millions. I'm your host, Andrew Winston, speaker, advisor, and author of Net Positive. Joining me today is the director of Vision Zero for the Washington DC Department of Transportation, Linda Bailey. She's here to discuss how Vision Zero is aiming to eliminate traffic deaths completely across the US. Welcome, Linda. Thank you for joining us.
0: Hi, thanks. Happy to be here.
1: So we're going to be talking about Vision Zero and digging into that, but can you just give us a little context on what's the problem that Vision Zero is is trying to address? And why have you called or have others said that deaths and injuries in tr- due to traffic are are not accidents?
0: Since the dawn of the automobile era, um, we've really been struggling, I think, as a culture with with traffic deaths, you know, with the advent of large, powerful vehicles that you know move about in human space, you know, where we are living and doing our, our conducting our days, we went through a 30-year phase where traffic deaths were steadily going down, at least as a rate relative to how much we were traveling, and then the last few years has gone back up the other way. It's, it's plateaued for a while, and now it's kind of gone the wrong direction nationally. And I think that, especially during COVID, we've had a really bad series of years. Uh, now, almost two years uh, where traffic deaths have been up very significantly.
1: Yeah, I was I was looking at data from the U.S. Department of Transportation. I was really surprised that in 2020, even though driving obviously dropped a lot, the number of deaths had increased, that there was more, right? Yes. And they, they talk in their report for like the last full year, I guess, 2020, that the three main reasons were drunk driving, no seatbelt, and speeding. And I was surprised because just as, I guess, a layman on this, if you had asked me what number one was, I probably would have said distracted driving because we hear so much about it. Like, where is that? It sounds like it's just the same three problems that we've had for for years.
0: So the one of those that I think about the most is speeding. So speed management is high on our list here in DC as a strategy to try and improve safety for all our road users. We had a huge spike in the first year of COVID in the number of motorist deaths. And that's unusual because technology on vehicles is actually great and keeps people safe a lot of the time when they're in the vehicle in the event of a crash. And so you really have to be going fast, frankly, much faster than the speed limit typically for that to not be sufficient. So we're really looking at speed management as key. And here's the thing about distracted driving is there's always been some distractions, right? And people say, oh, they were fiddling with the radio or whatever. I mean, there's been even in the you know pre-cell phone era, they were Things to think about besides driving and do and and so really to me speed gives you a lower speed gives you time to react. At, despite that, even if you're in that crash, if you don't avoid it, it's less likely to be serious or fatal. It's kind of a um, an underlying factor, I'd say, and in, in a lot, or you could almost say, almost all of our crashes that are that are serious or fatal. And distraction is it's just another factor that adds to it. One of the things I say about fatal crashes is any individual crash. Has multiple factors. There are some behavior aspects to every crash, I'd say, but there's also infrastructure and design changes that we can make that can change that. And again, you know, like we had a fatal crash where someone ran a red light, which you can say is definitely a behavior issue. And that person that was going 60, I think 62 miles an hour when they entered the red light intersection ended up killing the other driver that was going the other direction. Even if that driver had been going 42, just 20 miles an hour slower, they could have all walked away from it, possibly. So I'm just saying, it's like that speed factor. Yes, behavior, but also speed. And speed is something we tolerate, like in our culture, a lot. And it's really key to start thinking about that differently. I think.
1: So it sounds like the distracted or looking at your phone, it it leads you to not pay attention to speed. Probably you're you're accelerating or you're not realizing how fast you're going in the in the zone you're in. I I guess I was surprised also to see no seatbelt. I, I saw a news item recently where they showed people saying, you know, the government's not going to make me do this. And and they made it look like it was about vaccines, but it was actually from the 80s and it was about seatbelts. It was the exact same discussion. It was like, this is something that I have the freedom to do. I don't have to wear a seatbelt. But I thought we had kind of gotten over that. I just find this amazing to me because I can't imagine me or my kids not wearing a seatbelt as I did when I was little. I mean, I remember crawling around the way way back in the station wagon. I was the youngest. So I was in the way way back and that was pretty unsafe, <laughs> you know, but wasn't a thing then, but I'm, I guess I'm surprised. So this is still a problem. People won't put their seatbelts on.
0: So in the district and our surveys were actually super high, like compared to other places. So we have over 90%. I think the last survey was 94, 95% seatbelt use, which we're really happy about. And I always say it's so crazy not to put on your It's like Car companies have literally spent millions, if not billions of dollars making that vehicle safe as long as you stay in it and you got to put your seatbelt on to do that. <laughs> You know, so it's like you're you're throwing away millions of dollars of research and efforts to uh, to save your your life potentially.
1: Or maybe people think that those airbags are designed so well now that they're safer, which I mean they are, but you know it's not perfect. It's
0: definitely not perfect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's not not good. So let's talk about Vision Zero. What does that mean? What is Vision Zero?
0: Vision Zero, you know, in some way, it's a couple of different things, I'd say. So zero is now the goal. So we're not just trying to reduce fatalities or uh, make it a little better, not quite so many people die or whatever. We're just saying that's really not how we're thinking about it. We're really thinking of it as zero is the only acceptable number. And that gets us to a different place, I think, psychologically and thinking about road safety, hopefully, as professionals and also as the public. Like what? What are what risks are we willing to live with, and what deaths are we willing to live with at the end of the day? And you know, permanent disability. There's a lot of injuries out there, more than more injuries than fatalities out there, and trauma uh, related to that. So really, when we say Vision Zero, we're saying you know we are not going to shrug as professionals about another traffic death. We're going to try and grapple with it and really get to the place we need to be, where people feel safe um, moving around, you know, doing their everyday activities on the streets.
1: So on um, visionzeronetwork.org, which is a good thing for people to check out for kind of the broader movement, it says that Vision Zero is not a slogan and it isn't a program. So what is it? What are the kind of strategies that cities and states are using?
0: The big thing is to get away from giving into bad trade-offs, maybe is one way to put it. So yes, injury crashes may go up if we do X, but that's acceptable because we have Y benefits or something like that. And it actually originated in Europe as a way to deal with cost benefit analysis, which, as I understand it, in many countries there, they use a lot of that kind of economics analyses to decide whether or not to do a specific safety intervention. And they said, instead of saying it's not worth it, we should just say it's it's worth it, you know, and that's it, because we're going to save somebody's life doing this. So it's really about that kind of calculus of instead of using, you know, a standardized value for the, the value of a human life loss or years of disability and things like that, that we say, no, 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 none of those things are acceptable. And we're going to kind of push it on what we do on safety. So it's really calling us to step it up, I guess, bottom line.
1: Well, it's, so it's an interesting problem, right? Because the reason insurance companies or governments put a value on life is so that in some sense, you know, where to prioritize different things you could do to save lives, right? Because if it costs a billion to save a life this way, and a million over here, you're gonna do the million one. You could save a thousand more people. So how do you think about budgeting for this? That, you know, How do you think about what are the priorities?
0: That's a really great question. So I think from my perspective, being inside an agency, I see safety projects as two different kind of flavors. Every project we do, we, we spend a lot of money on, like, you know, replacing a bridge, for example, because of maintenance issues, or, or rebuilding a roadway because of drainage issues. So there's projects coming from other places or other reasoning. And so part of what I'm trying to do is just get us to maximize what we can do for safety as part of that project. It's like, yes, it's a drainage project or it's just something that needs to be fixed because it's broken. While we're doing it, let's maximize our safety um, opportunities. And that stuff often doesn't cost anything or not much. It's a marginal change in the cost of the project. It's just like we're already doing that project. Let's do it really well in terms of safety. So that's a almost cost free. Let's just say change in policy. And then the other is a project that comes straight out of safety, like because of safety concerns, concerns, we are doing something here. And then the question is what, or how do we prioritize this compared to other sites? And we do look at crash data to maximize like how much benefit we'll get from going to that site or like which site we go to, because we have to prioritize at some level, but we do also respond to a lot of community requests and, and concerns as well. We, we weigh a lot of different things going into that conversation and I would say we don't use a firm cost benefit analysis the same way that I guess they do in other places. So it's not as much about that. I'd say it's much more about trying to prioritize it overall. And like I said, to integrate it into, you know, as a country, we spend like billions and billions of dollars every year doing something in our roadways and like, Sometimes that just includes missed opportunities, unless we're thinking about that from start to finish.
1: Yeah, that's so it's interesting. So you're talking about you're basically systems thinking, right? Starting, you know, putting this into everything that you're doing as you're doing projects, right? There's there's money being spent. It's the same discussion in, in you know, climate and changing energy systems. There's going to be a lot of money spent on energy systems. So why not do it right as you're redoing things? We talked to a lot of other people in this series about kind of traffic flows and things like taking lanes away and putting in bike or dedicated bus lanes, and how sometimes it's counterintuitive you take away lanes, but there's better flow through. And But those options bring more bikes and pedestrians into close contact with cars. Are there trade-offs from your perspective? I mean, how, how does it work to make these choices for flow and letting, you want people to have options, right? To have options for transportation, but then it puts them in, I guess, more harm's way. How do you think about that?
0: Well, I think a couple things, I think that, let me, let me talk about it in a couple of different ways. So the first way I would think about it is a lot of our people who are walking in the district, at least are also transit riders. They are walking to or from kind of the station or the bus stop or whatever on either end. And transit itself is one of the safest modes we've got. It's like very secure. We had a very upsetting bus incident. I know of just because it was near a school, I want to say like a year and a half ago or something, or maybe pre COVID. In any case, a, a bus you know, full of passengers like slid into basically a stone wall, a retaining wall. And it was very scary, but nobody was injured. And it's just like, yeah, because a bus is like this giant thing and basically everybody was kind of fine. you know. So that to me is like a positive to have more people on transit in particular from a safety perspective. And it also lowers like the, the denser we can have our city, the fewer miles people will just put on. Even if they drive everywhere they go, they're going to be driving a mile to the grocery store and not 10 miles, for example, right? So it's just like, that exposure level, we never think about it right? you don't think like, oh, I shouldn't go to the grocery store again this week because I might die. People don't usually think that, <laughs> but it's kind of true. It's like, yeah, if you have a 10-mile trip to the grocery store, it's like that's 10 more miles that you're exposing yourself to, especially if it's high speed.
1: Well, it's yeah, that's interesting because we've been all doing that calculus with COVID about kind of this risk calculus of, a, well, while. there's a lot of cases. Do I go to the store one more time? Do I go to a restaurant, right? So we've been doing that all along, but it's funny we've never applied it to... I mean, I think you're right. It's good we don't apply it to driving because you would make your life crazy. Right? It would, it, you would never do anything.
0: I think COVID shows that that's a stressful way to live. Yes.
1: <laughs> like, are there technologies that you feel like are helping? I mean, my more recent leased car, it'll slow down itself if you're coming in too fast. You know, I mean, it has a bunch of technologies that as a parent of teenage drivers is makes me really happy. I mean, honestly, I feel like it will increase the chances that they avoid serious problems. I mean, how, what do you feel are the best technologies coming out now? What what should be standard in cars soon?
0: There's a lot of exciting things coming out in newer model vehicles. Like you said, lane assist, especially for highway driving, right? For expressway driving. And um, in Europe, there's a really cool thing where they're going to have, I forget the acronym, which wouldn't help anyway. It's going to help you understand things. But re- it's it's basically geolocated speed limit monitoring. So one of the things like, not shockingly, after you skip through a, a few Presentations on fatal crashes, it makes you more cautious drivers. So I'm a very cautious driver now. And I want to go to the speed limit. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know what the speed limit is because I missed the sign. I was looking over there or whatever, you know. And it shows you the speed limit on the dashboard right there next to the speedometer. And in the new models, starting this year in Europe, it's also going to kind of, when you push the gas, it'll kind of stop at that number. And something you can't push up beyond it, as I understand it, but it'll kind of like settle at 25 or whatever the speed limit is. And I'm really excited about that because it just gives you a little more guidance because sometimes, you know, I've, again, I've talked to so many people who are so aware of the issues and they will be like, and then I was going 50 and a 25 and I didn't even realize it or whatever, because it was on a hill or, you know, something like that. And it's like, yeah, like a lot of times people really don't even know what they're doing because they just, it doesn't feel unsafe for whatever reason. And they are just flying, which is always fine until it's not. (laughs) So
1: I can see people being annoyed at the car slowing for them, but it is, it's really, that seems really helpful to just tell you where you, where you are in the system.
0: And, you know, and it's, it's an assist to doing something that long-term will benefit people. And in the city environment, you know, like we're talking about an average speed on a corridor with a bunch of signals on it. And it's like, yeah, but you have to stop at half those signals. So what is your average speed going to be? Typically, like, say it's a 25-mile-an-hour zone and the signals are timed, this average speed might be, might be like 15 because you're stopping and going again and whatever. And yet, sometimes people will accelerate to 40 in between for no real reason, <laughs> you know? And so, it's stuff like that that if we can even out, it, it really improves safety for everybody. Because, again, it's just like those seconds.
1: There's something where people, like, we have speed bumps in my neighborhood, like too many. And and you, people, you see people gun it, right, in between the two sp- speed bumps so they can go as fast as they can and then slow down. I mean, it kind of ruins the point. There's so much we could talk about here. This is fascinating, but we we want to talk about another topic and kind of move away from the the traffic death prevention and on to transportation innovation in general. That's kind of the big theme in this podcast series. Can you talk a little bit for people who don't know who are listening what the first mile last mile problem is and why cities need to pay attention?
0: I think that refers to kind of getting uh, deliveries to to people and how you know how we can improve that. I don't work on that that much. So honestly, I'm not sure if I can eliminate too much about it. But I do believe that, you know, when you think about it, a city transportation, you know, you're seldom going to be going for like a 20 mile trip. It's really about that kind of micro scale mobility that we want to work really well. For product delivery, like sometimes I refer to that as brown trucks, like meaning UPS, FedEx, Amazon deliveries now. That type of delivery is really something that we're trying to accommodate more in our curbside uses my colleagues in the parking division are working on you know but we're trying to accommodate that as much as possible in busy areas to, to prevent double parking which can cause other issues and you know trying to figure out how to make that smoother and safer for everybody on the street
1: there's such a different mix now right of because of the the curb issues there's and there's so many different modes and delivery and obviously in the pandemic the amount of delivery going on just ramped up dramatically what have you seen that new mix do to, to safety concerns? You've talked about double parking because of all these trucks around. Like, that sounds like it's a safety hazard in and of, in and of itself. Has this been part of a, a kind of rise in, in city fatalities and injuries?
0: To be honest, like I don't know that. I mean, thankfully, I haven't witnessed or I haven't heard about a specific fatality, but I do know it does lead to certainly injuries. And it has led to certainly lots of complaints too. I think the good news is that, you know, we're really opening up like new technology, you know, previously to have full mobility for the human body, you kind of needed this big engine and it needed a big something to be in, right? Even just the idea that you could have an engine that could be this big that could move the human body, you know, is is pretty remarkable. And that's new and that's with electrical e-bikes and e-scooters. And that's really a cool new development, I would say. Because it, it just gives us the mobility that we crave to be able to go every place we want in the city without necessarily having to get behind the wheel of a 2 ton vehicle. So that's a really exciting thing. I think that in terms of integrating it with how we design streets, we're still learning and we're still figuring it out. We've done a lot of cool things to improve that in the district. We basically have these uh, micro-mobility corrals, that's what we call them, that we put in um, areas where people are not supposed to park anyway. And we kind of use it as like daylighting at the corner to improve visibility for drivers. And at the same time, providing a safe place to put those e-scooters, because one of the complaints we get is that they litter the sidewalk and block people who are trying to walk or roll in a wheelchair. And so, you know, we've done a lot of cool things on that. But I think we're still all, as cities in the U.S., at least uh, on a learning curve on that, figuring out how to integrate them parking and also traveling We do have some really cool things that we've discovered with those. One is that, remember I was talking about the speed, the geofence speed management. They're already doing that with all the scooters. So if scooters are in certain areas, they go slower because they're known to be very congested with lots of pedestrians, for example. And that's a big complaint we get is that people on e-scooters ride too fast and they almost hit me and blah, blah, blah. So that's been really interesting to kind of engage on that. I think that shared mobility, kind of the, the Ubers and Lyfts, like you know, that's changed a lot during COVID. So it's really different than it was two years ago. But I'd say in general, to me, you know, like that kind of service really enables a more urban, more dense lifestyle. And it can be really positive from that perspective.
1: Yeah. So the denser the city, the lower the injury level. I mean, there's, it's just lower miles traveled.
0: There's other factors, but that does seem to be a trend that you can kind of point to. There's definitely other factors that are related We have one of the lower fatality rates relative to population for cities in the U.S. There are cities that are lower than us, but we're probably doing among the the best in the country, I'd say. That's not the impression you get from the news, but that is the case. (laughs) You know, there's other cities. I forget what city. There's some city in the South that was telling me at some point, oh, yeah, in 2020, we had over 200 fatalities and their population is less than D.C. And that year we had, uh, I think this was 2019, we had 27. So they literally had What is that? Almost eight times the number as we did. And I was like, holy cannoli.
1: That's a big difference. What do you think that what was really missing there? What do you think you guys are doing differently that makes such a difference?
0: The district's um, streets are in a way that encourages short trips. I think that makes a huge difference Just the way our whole city is laid out. And we we have a lot of advantages built in from that kind of the long font plan. They talk about a lot, you know, like the street grid and with the radials and things like that. So that's definitely a factor. And then I also think that, you know, like we have a huge transit mode share, which I was saying, you know, that's one of the safest modes. So having a lot of people using a train and using a bus is like great for safety. <laughs> Actually, one of the really exciting things we're doing right now, we have, we just announced a new bus priority program uh, with a series of quarters where We're going to try and speed up buses and enhance bus ridership. So that's one of our big projects right now that I see as a great kind of Vision Zero crossover project.
1: Part of what I love about Vision Zero, I I work with companies a lot on their goals around sustainability, and there's been a huge increase in zero, right? And and, and just taking that as, as you said, why are we accepting safety, like companies just putting safety goals in place and saying we should have zero fatalities in our operations and not accept it, you know, zero carbon, zero waste, all of it. But one of the goals I actually have referred to over years and written about and talked about is Subaru a while back now had their own kind of Vision Zero and a couple of car companies did this. Where they want, they said we, we want zero fatalities in our vehicles, which is, I think, kind of amazing because the car is out of their hands in a way once they've sold it, and they're saying let's take responsibility for that, which is a big part of the work that I kind of um, am propagating in the world is taking larger responsibility. So I'm just curious if you run into the private sector kind of helping or hindering, like how are they part of the the vision zero, right? The cars have to be made in a certain way. And is there a good relationship with the cities and with the departments of transportation?
0: I think, you know, I think the relationship is generally good. And I do feel like, you know, vehicle manufacturers and designers have done amazing work. Like I said about seatbelts, it's like stay in that car because they have invested so much money in making that safer. You're going to benefit. And there's like zero downside. (laughs) Talk about zeros. I think that the vehicle designers are doing the right thing The one thing I worry about is with autonomous vehicles, sometimes there's this urge to give carte blanche to make sure we get innovation. I I guess I'm hopeful that in this administration, we'll see more leadership about, you know, when I speak to somebody from one of the car companies, I say like, listen, you don't want to be underbid and your AV that might cost whatever $5,000 more by some startup that's going to like kill people and they don't care. That seems like a bad model. Like why not, you know, push some baselines out there? And I know we don't know what all of them are, but some of them we do. Like crashworthiness, we know quite a lot about. I think. <laughs> I think one of the things we spent millions and millions of dollars. On. So you know, like I think that there's stuff that we can still do that brings that spirit back and really, you know, makes a great partnership.
1: Yeah, you're describing uh, you know something I work on, which is what I call net positive advocacy, which is going in to create the kinds of policies that that would help the total system. So let's think a little further ahead as kind of our you know final question. We ask everyone to think. You know, twenty years from now, you're looking out your window. What are you hoping or expecting to see?
0: I guess in the, I, I hope that what we'll see in the future, and um, certainly in cities on uh, streets, is like a really great place that you want to be in and not just pass through. And that that includes you know all kinds of mobility options, especially for kind of uh, micro mobility. I think I, I feel like that's a huge potential you know growth area. It um, could be better. And as cities, I think what we need to do is make that safer and more welcoming, I guess, and for everybody so that also eliminating some of those conflicts with people walking and stuff like that. So I think that's the most exciting thing to me to think that, like, as a person living in that community, you kind of have this menu of options. A lot of it's cheaper, free even, and it's just like, it's easy to get around and get where we want to go.
1: And safe, right? That's the the important part. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Linda. This was really interesting, really fun. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of City Talks by Ford. And thanks so much to Linda Bailey for describing the vision in Vision Zero and some of the ways cities are working to eliminate traffic deaths. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review wherever you're listening and let us know what you'd like to hear more of. And make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. I'm Andrew Winston, and this has been City Talks by Ford.